Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. With us today is Archbishop William Lurie, Archbishop of Baltimore, and we're going to look back at 2019 and look ahead at 2020. So we've had some really good things going on in 2019. We had some great news on the vocations front. 14 new permanent deacons, several new newly ordained priests, and some good news on the front of seminarians itself. What does that look like? Well, I'm very excited uh, to see that God is blessing the archdiocese with many new seminarians. So last year we were blessed to have 17 new seminarians, and that brings our total to 52. It's not all about numbers, I hasten to add. Uh, it is all about uh, those who will be worthy and well-equipped and well-formed to mm-hmm. serve as our priests. But God has given us some wonderful, wonderful new vocations, and it's my first prayer every morning um, to the Lord. Please send us shepherds. Mm-hmm. Send us the shepherds that we need uh, now and in the future. And that 17 is one of the highest numbers of new seminarians in over three decades, right? Yes, it's, I think, the highest maybe since the early 70s. I'm not sure exactly, but it is, by all accounts, uh, a high number. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't mean that when a man enters the seminary that he's going to be ordained tomorrow, right? I mean, this is a whole process of discernment of being open to what the Lord has called them to do. But why is it important that we have so many men who are looking at this right now? So the first question is, is this man formable? Does he have the requisite um, qualities of mind, heart, body, and spirit to be formed for the priesthood? You're, you don't know None of us arrive pre-formed. Um, and then the seminarian enters into a process of continued discernment. Is this what God really wills for one's life? And number two, um, uh, a whole process of being formed humanly, intellectually, spiritually, and pastorally. And it's pretty arduous, Mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. Well, of course, the more candidates are there, the more opportunity there is for some really great priest uh, to emerge uh, from the process who will be future leaders among their brother priest and among the people and in the archdiocese. In the new pastoral plan for the archdiocese, it seems that new priests are going to get only a few opportunities to be associate pastors before they, they are called to be a pastor. Is that part of the training now, too, to make sure that these men are ready to jump into leadership in the parish? It's more and more common across the country that uh, after only a few years of ordination, um, a very young priest or a priest that's young in the priesthood finds himself serving as a pastor or an administrator of a parish. 
So this naturally has changed aspects of priestly formation. It means that he has to be ready to assume the burdens and challenges of administration as well as grow in his ability to preach and to engage in all aspects of pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. So this means that it's important that the fundaments of administration be communicated and discussed during the time of priestly formation. Seminaries are doing that today, and the archdiocese has been supplementing uh, what our men get at the seminary. Great. Let's also talk about schools. We've got some good things going on in schools. You broke ground this year for the Mother Mary Lane School, and I, I see you smiling as we talk mm -hmm. about that. Why is that school going to be so important? Mother Mary Lang School is a, a beacon of hope for the city of Baltimore. It's being built right on Martin Luther King uh, Avenue between Lexington and Saratoga. It's in a great location, very accessible, also very close to where the majority of our young people uh, live who attend our current schools. I think that this will be a beautiful a beacon of faith and learning and service, uh, a wonderful facility, a resource for the neighborhood, and um, a 21st century learning environment for these young, very deserving young people and a place where they can grow in faith and to become the persons God meant them to be. I'm very, very excited about this. And this has not only got science labs and, and technology and all of that woven in, but there's also athletic fields and a, and a gym and all yeah. of those things to encourage activity and, and active living. Sure, there's a music space, there's a maker space, there's um, a chapel, beautiful chapel will be in there, and of course a gym and playing fields. So we always say we educate the whole person, body, mind, and spirit, well, this is going to be the facility where that can be done in a 21st century way. Great. Speaking of facilities, St. Maria Goretti out in Hagerstown uh, moved from one campus that was consistently flooded to mm -hmm. a new campus, and you were able to bless that and, uh, mm -hmm. and be there with them for opening day. What does that mean for that community to, to have a new facility? It was uh, just the side of miraculous what <laughs> happened last year. So. The instructional building at Maria Gretti was built on a 100-year floodplain back in 1954. And indeed, the floods seemed to have come. And it just wasn't sustainable. And we were really, really, really wondering what to do in a quandary, praying. And suddenly, these beautiful facilities opened up in what had been a community college about a mile, maybe a mile and a half, from the main campus. And we were able to uh, gain access to this. But of course, the needs of a community college and the needs of a high school are very different. And over the summer, my goodness, there was this great transformation. And that took a huge amount of work on the part of, of uh, Maria Gretti High School and its staff and leadership and on the part of the archdiocese. But what a team, such that last September, I was able to come out and bless it. And uh, I've run into a lot of Maria Gretti 
students and faculty subsequently, and I must say, happiness reigns. It's a beautiful facility, probably built in the 90s, and built in such a way that it was flexible. It's the kind of building you could work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're also partnering with the Diocese of West Virginia, which is nearby, and the Diocese of, of uh, Harrisburg, which is above, mm-hmm. because we get students from both. And we want to make sure everybody gets the same level of opportunity. And of course, we are on track to grow the student body at uh, Goretti. There's great leadership there, uh, both in terms of the actual school leadership and the board, the faculty. And I think that there's growing enthusiasm uh, in the wider community. That's a wonderful thing. Well, after the break, we're going to talk with some more with Archbishop Lurie about 2019 and upcoming 2020. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. U.S. Senators Benjamin Cardin and Christopher Van Hollen joined Archbishop William E. Lurie and other local faith leaders to call for increased federal funding to strengthen security at religious sites amid a rise in anti-Semitic attacks. Speaking at a January 13th news conference outside the Baltimore Hebrew Congregation in Pikesville, Archbishop Lurie said faith leaders are deeply disturbed by the recent apparent rise in anti-Semitism, in particular the violent attacks that took place last year during the Hanukkah celebration in New York and on the kosher market in Jersey City. The senators are proposing to quadruple funding in next year's federal budget for the nonprofit security grant program which provides assistance to religious and other nonprofit institutions that are potential targets for terrorist attacks. If the proposal is successful, the program would provide an additional $360 million in security assistance each year. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. 
New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and today our guest is our own Archbishop William Laurie, talking about the year that just that we're finishing up and the year ahead. The church looked at some really tough things this year, especially in relation to Episcopal accountability. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Pope released new norms in May, Vos Estis Lux Mundi, You Are the Light of the World. The U.S. bishops met in June and in November in Baltimore to talk about this topic. Uh, You yourself did some things that were unusual on the cutting edge of, of what other dioceses are doing in terms of putting policies in place in January that would hold bishops as accountable as clergy and other employees. What has this year been like to work with all of those issues? It's been a challenging year on many, many fronts, but this has been challenging. Just to put it in context, back in 2002 in Dallas, the United States bishops voted to establish a charter for the protection of children and young people, and that set in motion in every diocese of the United States Um, policies and procedures designed to create uh, a safe environment for our young people to prevent sexual abuse by anybody representing the church and to respond appropriately uh, to past instances of this as well as any uh, present instance God forbid that should occur and those have been very effective policies. Uh, By all accounts, uh, the instances of sexual abuse have vastly diminished over these past decades. Archdiocese of Baltimore, and I can say this as one who came only seven years ago, but when I came it was evident to me that that had been taken very, very seriously. However, there was a lacuna. There was something else that was needed, and the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report of 2018 and the very tragic case of Theodore McCarrick made it abundantly clear that we had to have measures designed to hold bishops accountable in two ways. First, to make sure they were held as accountable as anybody else in the church for their own misdeeds against Uh, children and young people and vulnerable adults. And secondly, if there has been negligence in handling these allegations of sexual abuse, they also need to be held accountable for that. Measures were first proposed by the Bishops' Conference to the Holy See that seemed to be on track, but when we got to the meeting in November of 2018, it was clear the Holy See wanted us to go back to the drawing board. But Pope Francis asked us to do something also very important uh, as as a body of bishops, and that was to get together, to pray, to make a retreat, to reflect. 
And so uh, we did. We met in uh, Mundelein Seminary in Chicago in January for a retreat. I did not object to going on the retreat. I must say I was less than enthusiastic about, you know, January and Chicago. Right. But that's another matter. It was a marvelous retreat. I think it gave us a new perspective. And we worked closely with the Holy See throughout the spring uh, to uh, contribute to a document known as Vos Estes Lux Mundi, You Are the Light of the World, which really gave us the green light to put some good procedures in place to hold bishops accountable. The centerpiece of which is a third-party reporting system that is independent. So if a report is made against a bishop, uh, either as regards negligence or misbehavior, the bishop is not in a position to oppose it or to scuttle it. It goes to, indeed, an independent party, and it gets reported to the nuncio and law enforcement as appropriate. In advance of this, however, after our November meeting of 2018, uh, the question arose, what could we do locally? And we said, why can't we put in our own third party reporting system? We already have one, and, and we did. And that sort of put us a bit ahead of the curve. A number of other dioceses, including Boston, did the same thing. But I'm happy to report that at this juncture, we're ready to do this thing nationally, across the board, just as we did with the Dallas Charter way back in 2002. And I think this is for the good. Very grateful to the Holy Father for his understanding and his support. Very grateful for the leadership of the Bishops' Conference, which um, had a bit of a rough ride. But I must say, when it came to voting on this and to taking the practical steps to put this in place, hopefully early in the year 2020, there has been really great cooperation throughout every level of the Bishops' Conference and the Archdiocese of Baltimore is cooperating 100%. Speaking of 2020, you uh, re-established the Archdiocesan Pastoral Council. It had an orientation meeting in September. What do you see that council doing for you and for the Archdiocese in in the coming year? We have had not only an orientation meeting, but we actually had a meeting. First of all, we worked very hard to have a council that looks something like the Archdiocese. And we really went out and sought nominations in every geographic sector, the Archdiocese. And we also recognized that there is a great diversity in the Archdiocese. And we wanted the Pastoral Council to reflect that diversity. And as far as I can see, that has happened. So um, we have begun to meet. And what I'm really looking for is two things. Number one, that they themselves, who are good Catholics, who love the church, and who experience the church in ways that are very different, they would reflect that and help me get a deeper sense of what it's like 
to be a Catholic in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, what it's like to belong to our diverse parishes, what the opportunities are, what the needs are. But also, and I think we're looking for the right way to do this, have them to reflect uh, more broadly what people are saying and thinking by really connecting with parishioners throughout the archdiocese. And we're working on mechanisms to do that as well. So in many ways, they are the voice of the people and they enable me to listen. I'd love to be everywhere at once. I'd love, to, and I do try to get around. I do try to do listening sessions with people and I do try to take seriously what I'm hearing. But this will help focus and concentrate um, what people are saying and thinking and praying about in the Archdiocese. Mm -hmm. And I think this will result in better decision-making and in be better pastoral outreach. You've got some interesting uh, personal things coming up, especially in the early part of the year. Your mother turns 100. Mm -hmm. Your dad is a youngster at 98. Mm -hmm. What's their example been like for you? Well, first of all, I'm so grateful to God to have both of my parents uh, at this stage of my own life. And mom and dad have been just such beautiful parents. I am so grateful to God that he saw fit to plop me into this particular family. Mom and dad um, worked hard their life. They were members of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. Dad is a veteran of World War II. He was on a, in the Navy on an LST near Okinawa with kamikazes overhead. His ship was full of ammunition. He saw some pretty tough action, and God bless my dad. Uh, came back and with married my dear mom. He was 26, she was 27 when they got married. I was considered old back then. We are not a wealthy family, we are a hardworking family and they provided a beautiful, loving, faith-filled home. I had a brother with special needs. I saw mom and dad not just go the extra mile, they went the extra five miles. And they loved my brother till he died several years ago with truly tender parental love. And they provided a good, beautiful, secure home for me and my other brother, Joe, and encouraged me in my priestly vocation. And to this day, I receive encouragement whenever I talk to my parents. Dad does not hear very well, so talking to him on the phone is not easy, but I do talk to my mom every day. And uh, mom is still checking up on her son, <laughs> and uh, as well she should. And uh, once again, I just can't say how grateful I am to have them both. Do you have a blessing for the, the, our listeners and for the people of the Archdiocese? I do. You know, at Christmas, we read John's, the prologue to John's Gospel, and speaks about the light that shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. These are difficult times in the life of the Church. We touched on it today, but we did not really reflect 
the challenges to an ordinary Catholic to stick with the faith, to stick with the church, uh, and to practice and proclaim the faith uh, amid uh, not only the scandals, but also the cultural challenges that are out there. Let us keep our eyes focused on the light, on the light that is Christ. Christ, the light of the world. Just when it seems the bottom is dropping out, just when it might seem that everything is lost, let us remember the darkness, the darkness of the world's sin and our sin will not overcome or extinguish that light. Christ, the light of the world, born for our salvation. Thank you so much for being with us today, Archbishop William Laurie, Archbishop of Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.